Hello everyone and welcome to the Jim Croft podcast. Every week I ask myself, how do we go about the business of our lives? Though so much is available in the modern world, often we get stuck in our own lanes. It's for this reason that I'm striving in my podcast to bridge the gaps between apparent opposites. Every solopreneur has to find a way to discover their creative power just as every artist must learn how to navigate the business side of their careers. Of course, these things are in no way mutually exclusive, but what is sure is that the lessons from today's guest, Ruben Stone, cannot be learned from any manual or by following the latest guru on Twitter. A busker who has risen from the streets to global recognition, Ruben takes us through his odyssey with unflinching honesty. I conducted today's podcast in my Berlin studio, and though we'd never met, we were familiar to one another through the local scene, and it was a real joy to finally get to know this extraordinary man. Ruben's is a story of reckless courage, burning artistic ambition, and a warrior spirit. Whether from the rubble of surviving the Christchurch earthquake or coming back from financial ruin in the pandemic, he invites us into the place where song is born and where resilience is forged. An artist who has literally grown his career street by street, Ruben has played all over the world, gained millions of Spotify listens and supported artists from UB40 to his great friend Tash Sultana. Today's podcast is a reminder that the musical path and indeed our lives are as much a struggle as a symphony of growth. It's a story of attempting to perform at your highest level despite what the world throws at you, an account of the way that humans claw back from the brink, and a testament to what we discover beyond the precipice of our breaking. It's my great honor to introduce you to Ruben Stone. Finally, on a personal note, thank you all for the continuing support. And as ever, if you enjoy the podcast, please take a moment to rate and write a review. Are you ready? Then let's dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Ruben Stone in the house on the podcast. Welcome, my brother. Jim. So, man, look, um, I want to say, do you have any idea how I came across you? No, actually. So, our mutual friend, Dean is home, right? Oh, the man. The, the man himself, Dean, shout out. And it was one of his stories. And, uh, and he was there and he was just, he looked at the camera and he just started shaking his head, you know, like he does. And, and, and then he just turned the camera around and it was you just blasting it out. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? And, um, and then as I got to know Dean, I was like, well, I've, I've, got, I've got to just follow the uh, gingerbread trail towards Ruben. So it's so nice to meet you, man. Thanks for having me, Jim. I appreciate that. Yeah, dude. So look, um, let, let's just dive in and, um, We'll go through some different questions, and I just, to start with, I just wanted to kind of give everyone a little sense of your, your journey and where you come from, who you are, how you gravitated towards Germany. So maybe you could just give us like a little, uh, a little sense of where you come from first. Okay, from the very start or from... Yeah, well, I mean, so where, the... where were you born? Oh, where yeah. did you go to? How did you get to Germany? Yeah, well... Um... I'm obviously born in Christchurch, New Zealand. Mm -hmm. um, just uh, grew up by the beach. And my dad's a musician and he got me into it very early, maybe three years old or something like that. So I started playing 
the drums first. Uh -huh. He was like banging drums, making noise everywhere. And uh, th three years old from then, and then about five, seven years old, I started playing the bass. He bought mm -hmm. me my first bass, and I was just jamming with him on the drums, playing baseball. And then 11, when I was at uh, cool in New Zealand Intermediate School, mm -hmm. it's like in between high school mm -hmm. and primary school, uh -huh. I started playing guitar and playing in bands then, uh -huh. so it was maybe 2001. And was that out of your own instinct? Did you just come across it and go, yeah, that's the one for me? Or? There was just a rock band yeah. that you could join at school. And uh -huh. I just kind of put a little band together and went mm -hmm. to the school band competition. Uh, with other intermediate schools and high schools, and uh, that's where I started playing guitar and singing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, 2001. But since you didn't go on to the drums uh, yeah. or the bass, which was where you came from. Yeah, I just kind of followed the guitar by then. I wanted to be the front man by mm -hmm. then, because I was already writing songs. Yeah. I, was, I started about eight, nine years old, I was writing songs. With my on dad. the bass? Uh, with uh, my dad, yeah, yeah, we were writing songs uh -huh. together. So by the time I was good enough to write my own songs, I was about 11. So young, and man. Then, uh, yeah. Fifteen, I started playing keys. Uh -huh. uh, at at a high school, I was doing like basic keyboard. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I was twenty-six, I started playing trombone. And yeah, then basically that was yeah, not eight years ago. So that's kind of started with a rhythmic bass with just mm -hmm. drums and and bass. And then on top of that, it was just guitar, keys, and trombone. Wow. So I mean, it's because it's. I mean, that's what's one of the wonderful things about when you come across you with the music is that you know you're not only just doing one thing but yep. you're playing at such a high level so many different instruments so it gives me a clue of how you got to that to mm. that level i was like how the hell does he do it you know? it's just smoke and mirrors really <laughs> yeah but it's a damn good smoke and mirror and it works well yeah. and you know so many people are following your journey so when you um you know, were you or did you were you still playing a trombone? Were you still living in New Zealand then, or did you was that already when you migrated across to Australia? It was when I was living in Melbourne in Australia, uh -huh. uh, two thousand and twelve. Uh -huh. I was just driving a van around the east coast and sleeping, and living in it really, and uh, I just saw a trombone for sale for a hundred dollars and just bought it. And then I never had a lesson. Mm -hmm. I just taught myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I just started blowing on it. I actually, uh -huh. wrote a song in the key of B flat which is the same key as the trombone, so I would be able to play, make a loop, and then play trombone and just practice. Lovely. And that's how I just learned it in B-flat, and then I just figured out where A was mm -hmm. and G. And well, I remember there's this lovely quotation from The Edge, and he was like, someone was asking him about arranging songs, about how he became such a great player, and he just said, look, if you want to learn an instrument, write a song yeah. and write parts for it, mm -hmm. and it reminds me of that. Mm. Just that sort yep. of can-do attitude and learning by doing and not being afraid of stuff. Yeah, I'm probably doing everything wrong, really, if you <laughs> ask a professional player, you know? If they're going, nope, you're not supposed to be doing that. And it's happened before. People have told me, yeah, you're doing it wrong. And then I tried to do it the way they did it, and then it completely ruined the way I did it. And yeah, then I had to yeah. relearn again. And... Uh, yeah, it's just been a, it's a, it's always teaching me something rather than, sure. you know. But they probably don't see you, they probably say you're doing it wrong, but then they don't probably have the same reaction as you get when you're on Mauer Park and you've got hundreds of people like yeah. dancing like, like crazies around yeah. you. Yeah, I'm definitely not a traditional <laughs> trombone player. I don't really know what I'm doing. Yeah, so, so you were in the van. So how long were you in the van for when you were in Australia? I had a van for four years. There, were you living so in it all No, time? I was no. based in a warehouse in Melbourne, uh -huh. creative space. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, what had, was the story there? Um, I was just really just got sort of introduced to this creative hub in Melbourne and 
uh, kind of North Melbourne, Brunswick, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Brunswick East, Brunswick West, and there's a lot of like warehouses and a lot of yeah, artists and yeah, I just started playing warehouse parties um, with when I started the looping, you know, around yeah. about 2012. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I just got introduced to underground party scene, raving and, you know, just, uh, not going to clubs or bars, just like underground warehouse raves. So was that, so that must have informed where you went musically, just having that sense of dance and making people move and providing that sort of, because there's such a sense of fun and joy like in, in, yeah. in your music. Yeah, I was just happy to do anything at that time. I just mm. wanted to play wherever I could, whenever I could, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was just practicing my live show and evolving it and getting new equipment all the time. Mm. And that's when I started, because I, I moved to Melbourne in uh, 2012 because my city, Christchurch, had a big earthquake in 2011. Mm -hmm. So like the whole city basically was flattened mm -hmm. by this earthquake, All the, most of the, the main street, and I think there was 180 people died on that. So uh, that's when I had to uh, kind of think, oh, should I stay here for any longer, or should I move to Australia and try and restart my life there, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I moved there and I ran out of money. If I had $5,000 and I partied for like two months, and then lost, uh, ran out of money, and I thought, what am I going to do now? It's such a musician move, you know, just blow it all. What am I going to do now? Madness. What am I going to do now? And then I bought uh, a small busking amp, and uh -huh. I just sat down and just started playing my songs, and people just started giving me money, and that's how I started. So it started out of necessity. So you're, so that that was the path was you just running out of money. The earthquake happened. You'd yeah. moved across. You blew it, yeah. having too much fun, and yeah. then you were just like, "What am I going to do?" Or yeah, what I was, was looking what? at jobs. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at real jobs, thinking, "Oh no!" Yeah. And then I saw someone playing guitar over there, and people are giving them money. I could, have, I could do that. So I spent my last five hundred on the the amp and. Uh, yeah, the rest is just history, really. Dude, what a story. That, yeah. I mean, just when one really thinks of origin stories and what brings you where and why, I mean, it, it blows the mind just when you think about the, the chain of serendipity mm -hmm. and chance and coincidence that, mm. that leads you to that spot mm -hmm. in, your, yeah. in, in, in your life. And, exactly, yeah. And I mean, it's so interesting as well. It's that kind of parallel between that sort of yay and nay, you know, of like, okay, job, sitting in an office. Yeah. Okay, what is it that I can do yeah. and how can I do it? So one thing that I'm interested in, um, so when I was coming through as a musician, it was, it was very much through the club scene. I was in London mm -hmm. and the kind of whole thing was that it was still kind of the way way to do it, you know, or not the way to, that doesn't sound right. But in, in terms of just the club scene felt like the natural kind of like uh, thing that you gravitated towards, like you wanted to make it in the club scene and stuff. And that kind of felt just like the pathway mm -hmm. to progression. Now, when is this? This is, must be like 2002, three when I started mm -hmm. in London, I had about yeah. seven years in London before I came here. And, um, so, and so one of the interesting things for me is that, so you came across the, you, you, you went broke and you got the busking amp and then it started working. But did you have a relationship with the clubs? Was there a conscious decision to move in a different direction from the clubs or were you doing that simultaneously? What was the relationship there? Well, when I was living in New Zealand, so I was had a teaching uh, business where I was teaching kids, uh -huh. uh, high school kids, uh -huh. adults, I had something like 80 guitar uh -huh. students a week. So I was teaching a lot and I was also playing covers. How many? 
I had 80 students a week, like 30 kids at one school, and then uh, oh wow, okay, yeah, yeah, I had a bunch, a bunch of older people as well, mm -hmm. and I was teaching at uh, like a university, because mm -hmm. I studied three years at this university, and then they gave mm -hmm. me a job at the end, teaching guitar as like the secondary guitar teacher, so mm -hmm. that was cool, and yeah, things kind of just uh, were going quite good, and I was I was playing four nights a week, just covers, yeah, like covers uh, three hours, four hours a night four times a week, yeah. as well as the teaching, and then the earthquake happened. Wow. And then I, that kind of, all the kids were all traumatised, everything, mm -hmm. all the schools were broken, you know, things were not as smooth anymore, and all the, all the bars and stuff that I played in were broken, and then you couldn't play there anymore. Wow. And then, um, yeah, that's what pretty much made me move to Melbourne. I stayed for a year and a half mm -hmm. after the earthquakes, uh -huh. and uh, it was a pretty yeah. sad and depressing time. Oh, man, you can't even, I mean, that's the thing, is it, you, you come across these, these terrible things in the news of the one recently in in in, in Turkey, and of course, yeah. for this short amount of time, it's in the news and there's the empathy and everyone's sort of plugged into it. And then just one yeah. day, suddenly, yeah. uh, on the mainstream platforms, it's like it just it it it, it, it ends up on the editing room floor yeah. and it's done and it's gone. And I mean, it's just just that micro story that you said just showed so many aspects of just the lives that are affected, yep. the different, the people running the, the yeah. music scene and they don't yeah, have the possibility, done. the kids are traumatized, yep. the, yep. you know, the teacher can't, you know, there's not mm. the infrastructure. I mean, it's just, it's just devastating yeah. to think of, of. And that's just one story, just one little glimpse. Yeah, yeah, it's it was, like, it was very strange actually, this, this moment that this happened. I'd just been at a gig, uh, two hours in bed, and then the f there was one in 2010, and there was one, a big one, an even bigger one in 2011. So uh -huh. the first one was 2010. I was asleep in bed, and I was having a dream, mm -hmm. and I was like having a dream that I was on a boat, and there was people rocking the boat, and wow. I was going like this, oh, and I was like, mm. and then I woke up, and I was like, what the hell? And then all the windows in my house started like breaking, like psh, psh, all windows breaking because the house is like twisting like this. And then I was like, fuck, and got my underpants oh. standing outside, and standing outside the house, and my underpants just alone. Um, and then it went for about a minute, two minutes. Uh -huh, just, uh -huh. so, and you're just on the, on, on the ground? And just standing just outside of my underpants. And then uh, it stopped, and then all you could hear was, hear was just dogs barking, and uh, car alarms just woo, 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 the dogs going. And, yeah, it's a pretty crazy experience, actually. And, and you, you got out quickly, so were you on the on the, on the ground floor, or...? Oh, it was just, a, yeah, it was a little flat. Yeah, it was just a flat, just flat, a block of flats, and I went next door yeah. to see my 95-year-old uh, next-door neighbour to make sure, she, make sure she was all right. In and your underpants? Yeah. <laughs> it's Ruben Stone, ladies and gentlemen. And she, was in the, she was in there, huddled under the... Oh. Under the table mm -hmm. and all the uh, went into a kitchen and a whole kitchen was trashed there was stew she had old lady stew oh. was just everywhere and yeah she was crying and under the table and i was just like brought her back over to my house and yeah. made her a cup of tea yeah, and well, you know i mean yeah. that's just i mean it's so moving just these these it obviously you know getting a sense of you as a person it's the most natural thing in the world that you do mm. but it's all those those tiny moments of decency that yeah. come out and it's it's just i mean it's interesting nowadays because there's we're so plugged into the negativity in the news cycle and of course it's the negativity that sells but it's those it, all of these millions billions trillions of small actions day by day mm -hmm. that actually i think for the for the largest part compose the world and I um I don't know it's just I feel like in in your music this this 
there's such a sort of vibe and energy and positivity and a life-giving force. Mm. And it's, 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 where do you think that comes from? Do you think that's just, yeah, where do you draw your, you know, your, your, your groove from, your power? Because you... I don't know, just pain and struggle, really. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but it's would, you, would, you, would you, I mean, when I say that I see that, that uplifting quality yeah. like do you identify with that or do you think uh, well actually no like it's it, it it's the full spectrum i'm just i'm kind of thinking about it in terms of um the just the reaction that people have is that they mm. they're always moving and buzzing and grooving and whooping and yeah they just love your music well it's just the, it's always been something that's always there for you you know music uh -huh. You know, instruments are always going to be there for you. Sometimes people aren't, you know. Mm -hmm. People that you think mm -hmm. might be there for you forever just all mm -hmm. of a sudden are gone one day. Mm -hmm. So when I pick a guitar up, I just know what it's going to sound like. I know mm -hmm. what it speaks to me. So it's how I write. I write, I pick guitar up, I jot lyrics down. Mm -hmm. I, I put lyrics from 10 years ago with songs that I wrote this year, you know. Mm -hmm. And I just mix it up and, yeah, just take inspiration from mm -hmm. the instruments, you know. So it's your... It's a, it's been like your 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 life partner then through the, the challenges that come Pretty on much. the musical path. Yeah, the musical path really is a struggle, you know. And in New Zealand, it's very hard to break through. You know, there's mm -hmm. only a small mm -hmm. amount of space for artists. There's about five artists, bands in New Zealand that have just been famous for 20 years, and mm -hmm. it's very rare that a new artist comes mm -hmm. through and will go, take those festivals mm -hmm. off those bands. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, they kind of yeah. just own it. Mm -hmm. So I've battled with that for years and then I went to Australia and I did better in Australia. That's mm -hmm. where I met, um, uh, I got a manager, Tom Larkin, mm -hmm. uh, from the band She Had, which mm -hmm. are a pretty famous New Zealand band. And that's where I met Tash Sultana, who mm -hmm. was also a big part of me. Touring in the US. Touring well. in the US yeah. and around uh, Australia for, man, a couple of years, three mm -hmm. years, I was pretty much on the road with Tash, um, doing just support slots, yeah. Mm -hmm. And... Um, that was a real big step up because you know uh -huh. I've just been busking for a couple of years and this is where I developed because so I was playing you know five hours a day uh, six days a week so like I was really starting to like become autopilot and it's starting yeah. to not even have to think about it and that's when you can start when you play so much you've also got to entertain the audience yeah so if you have to think about what you're playing and what there's mm -hmm. this natural kind of human jukebox thing that happens, you know? Yeah. When you're playing all the time, you don't really think about it, and then you can focus on entertainment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and drawing people in and who's walking past. And, mm -hmm. you know, like my show is on the street is completely different than a stage show mm -hmm. because I spend a lot of the time of my show gathering an audience, mm -hmm. and then I kind of start the show. So it's adding, like, another 20-minute build where I get a crowd, and then I start doing, like, the songs that sell the CDs or sell, sell you know, make people want to follow, make people want to give me money, you know, mm -hmm, so I can mm -hmm. buy more stuff. And um, that's what it was. It was just a constant change of equipment, breaking equipment, mm -hmm. buying new equipment, <laughs> uh, trying to cut weight so it's easier to move it around. Um, it's just a constant constant cycle. Now I've got it down to a thing where I'm, I'm cruising around on an electric skateboard. I don't have to push it anymore. I, I've got like my my case can be flown, so it's 23 kilo now. Mm -hmm. It used to be something like 45, and I had to have two people to move it. Ruben, hold on. I watched a reel of yours like yesterday, and you were 
calling it. In fact, you were pushing it up the up the stairs, yeah. Yeah, thinking the S bahn yeah. out of the U bahn. Yeah. So it doesn't look like it's so light still. It's yeah. The whole thing is about I mean, you were, you were fifty-five like, oh. kilo mm -hmm. of equipment on the mm -hmm. skateboard, but I can also ride the skateboard with the equipment on it. But apparently, electric skateboards are illegal in Germany. <laughs> apparently, ignore, ignore, yeah, carry on. Yeah, you've got to yeah. do what you've got to do. I mean, this is the thing that I think that. If people see buskers and they love to be entertained, stop a while, have a beer, have that that experience, and of course that's all part of what you're giving, but I think it's hard for people to actually understand the sheer amount of fire, struggle, pain, carrying mm. heavy stuff, and the thing that I find most mind-blowing is just the motivation mm. day after day, year after year, because yeah. it's no joke, mm. even, <laughs> I mean, even like, you know, getting my film gear to one job and I'm sweating every mm -hmm. time before I leave the house. Yeah. And, you know, so it, it's, it, I don't know, it, where, how do you, like, keep yourself motivated for the path? Because you've been doing it for a long time and you're so yeah. busy and on, yeah. on the path. Well, it's just constantly, like, the street, like, I love playing on the street. Uh -huh. I also love doing festivals and, mm. like, headline shows. Like, mm. in Australia, I was doing a bunch of headline shows and in New Zealand, but I haven't really got there in Europe yet. But I, I think what keeps me going is with the street stuff is I'm just always meeting new people. Uh -huh. And I, I like making people happy with the music. Uh -huh. And they and that's what makes me happy, you know? Mm -hmm. I see them happy and it makes me happy. If they're giving me energy, I'm giving it back. Uh -huh. So it's a circle. Yeah, it's like a, it's a cycle of just, like, mm -hmm enjoyment really and it's always a good feeling when someone buys your music 100% you know if someone goes yeah dumb people are buying two people mm -hmm. are, and mm -hmm. then um yeah i mean i've sold like i used to sell a lot more cds now than now obviously cds are kind yeah. of are quite slow yeah but i used to do something like a thousand cds a month mm -hmm. and then it's uh from the street absolutely the street. amazing and then but in a festival situation like edinburgh fringe uh -huh or Avignon Festival, mm. I'm doing something like 1,500 in three weeks. Mm. So like, Crazy. this is 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18. Mm -hmm. I sold like 25,000 CDs in I Europe. Mean, serious numbers. Yeah, I mean like that's more than platinum in New Zealand, but <laughs> no, it's not official, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's still real. And yeah. the thing is, is that, you know, what I love is that you see the effect i mean you go onto your spotify and you've got millions of plays there and it's mm. like what i loved when i when i go on that and i i just i, I had a you know a sense already of your path i don't know you personally but you you get a sense of someone and you, yeah. you research about them and i also know what it takes to be on the musical path for years mm. and years and years and it made me so happy when i just went onto your spotify and and i just thought all of these plays mm. and that appreciation because I mean I, maybe it's a naff thing about you know this numbers nowadays but it's just when you see someone who you know is committed to the path and done so much work yep. year by year and to know the motivation the hunger and the power and the desire yeah. that it takes to do that it's just to see the, the reward and yeah. I, I understand that okay it's a million plays isn't you know getting you uh, you know, on a song, it's great, but it's not bringing you in crazy money or anything. But you still have to get to that platform to be able to sell out the shows yeah. and to be able to get hopefully those songs to 10 yeah. million plays yes. each. 
over the next five years. And yes. the thing is, I, I think there is this compounding effect that I think that I think is a, a really important lesson to pass on to sort of artists who are maybe a bit behind where you are, mm -hmm. because you, you, if you muscle it out and you get to that stage, there is a compounding effect where, where you, you start building momentum in a, potentially in a whole new direction. Of yeah. course, you still have to you have continue gutting it out and, you know, gristling it out. And I mean, hopefully one day there's an upswing where it gets a bit easier. But to get to the point where you're at is a very significant point on the journey, I think. Mm. How do you feel about it, about yeah. where you're at right now? I'm actually, yeah, I'm feeling much more inspired than I ever have, you know, because Amazing, man. before I moved to Germany, I, I'd been in lockdown in New Zealand for maybe like two and a half years. Uh -huh. So like the music career was just like breaks, handbrake was on. Uh -huh. And um, I was just living in my house. I was doing some work for my dad. Um, I was growing weed for a job. You know, and I was all of a sudden just, <laughs> this was my thing, you know? I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe I'm stuck here doing this. Uh -huh. And then I was, did, did you feel like you were literally stuck as in, yeah. my life has arrived back here, I, I don't know if I'll get back to it? I was financially ruined because I tried, toured once, lost big money on tour, and then another tour again, and I tried one more time, three, and then I was completely financially destroyed. What was it about the touring that... that just was... no one would come to the shows mm -hmm. because of the... Where? In New Zealand, yeah, mm -hmm. because of the the government with the vaccination thing mm. and the masks and people mm. just didn't want to so be... So you were trying to hustle it out as a musician during that time when no one was going to shows? Oh, well, they, would just, they had 50 capacity events. Yeah. So like they'd change it from 50 and then all of a sudden yeah. it'd be gone. So I'd organise all these shows, I'd put a lot of money into promo and then it would get cancelled or things that... It was just really a big battle. Yeah. So that was three years of that. And then I met these buskers actually about... No, 2012 in Melbourne when I lived there, uh, Amistadt, and they're German twins who are really quite famous in Germany now, mm -hmm. and I still talk to them on the internet. No, I know, I know the guys. Yeah, Amistad, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got absolutely mental. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was, thinking, I saw a tour. I was like, man, these guys have like 60 dates around Europe, and I was like, that would be an absolute dream <laughs> if I could do that. And I yeah. said, who's your agent? Uh -huh. And then they were like, oh, his name's JP. He's, uh, we're in the we're in the van with him right now. We'll show him your music. So they chucked in my music on and they were touring around Europe with JP and uh, JP was like, yeah, we, we really like your music. We want you to uh, come over and do some shows. Are you serious? This is when I was living in my house depressed. Uh, my girlfriend had left me. I'd like just hit rock bottom. I was drinking every day. I was smoking weed constantly. Yeah, yeah. I was really in a bad way, you know? I was really- Were you conscious of being in a bad way and I compensating know. with the drink yeah, and smoking? Yeah, yeah, I was really stuck. Uh -huh. I was really stuck and then this, this breakthrough happened with one person showing my music to one person and then I just went bang and then eight shows was booked. Amistad yeah. like what Amistad, triggered yeah. it. Man, those guys, yeah, dude, yeah. that's amazing. They've always supported me from dude, the beginning. Dude, that is beautiful. Yeah. So this is what put me in touch with I just love agent. hearing artists yeah. helping artists, you know, yeah. beautiful. And then they signed me to a filter music group. So this uh -huh. is my agent who books all my shows yeah. around Europe now. So they started with eight shows, and then it was like 20 shows, because everyone was really interested, and I was going, fuck, 20 shows, that's pretty awesome. And then it all got cancelled again, because of COVID. And I was thinking, oh no, another year, another winter yeah. stuck here. Oh man. And then, uh, like a month later, JP emailed me again, said, yo, they're back on, all the shows are back on, they opened up again, Germany's open again, and now I've got you another 25 dates. 
So I ended up doing like 45 or 50 dates 45 last year. 45 dates? Dude, that yeah. guy's doing his job. Yeah, he's doing a great job, yeah. Wow. So, um, yeah, I did that and I... Just phenomenal. I'd been touring like a lot before that, like, but I always had two people, you know, I said, uh -huh. had so much equipment. So at this moment, I everything just condensed down to being manageable with one person. And mm -hmm. then I thought, I've never toured Europe on this scale before mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think can I do this on my mm -hmm. own you know like mm -hmm. I'm so used to having one person to help me yeah and I thought no I'm gonna do it all on my own man mm -hmm. like I just really needed to just prove to myself that I could do it you reach a threshold yeah I'm on the flex bus I'm on the train I'm flying alone and I just got I did it and then 40, after that, 45 dates 45 dates all around yeah. Europe or Germany yeah. All around Europe, All yeah, around yeah. Europe. Italy, Hungary, Netherlands, Switzerland, um, heaps of shows in Germany. Ah, there were some other ones. But uh, yeah, all this was like, okay, so I've just got my stuff and I throw it on the train and I just mm -hmm. take the train. And then, yeah, got did every show, wow. nailed every show and they were just super happy with me. So I was really happy to be able to achieve that goal. It was really empowering, you know, because I'd always had another person. Yeah. So I needed to punish myself, you know, and be, I can do this. I want to feel. I want to be awake all night on a train, like, and arrive seven in the morning, and then have to be at the venue at twelve, and just on a constant battle, just enjoying every moment, you know. Wow. And I mean, what's so amazing? I mean, it's such a transformation story yeah. because you're talking about going from the absolute yeah. gutter moment yeah. of your life. Like suicidal, man. I was suicidal. Oh, you serious? Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah. I was having, like, my partner left me and I was in a real bad way, oh, you know? Man. Like, I, I messed up, you know? Like, I, I'd openly admit that I was, like, really bad. And she mm -hmm. was said, like, you know, you've got issues. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't. Mm -hmm. And then I, like, really, like, after this music, sort of, with the agency thing, I stopped all drinking, stopped smoking. And I was like, whoa, man. Yeah, I really did have issues, you know? I was really, uh -huh. really cooked. So it was quite nice to... Um, to go clean and just get back on the road and... You went clean? Yeah, yeah, I started uh, drinking and smoking, yeah, for like, you know, until I came to Europe and started touring, obviously, but... Um, but you uh, got yourself right, yeah. you reacted to where you yeah, were. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was, when you're smoking that much, it's like, you don't know, because it's just normal. Mum mm. said, you know, you're smoking too much weed, and I said, oh, yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> you can't communicate. You, you can't communi even communicate anymore. And I was like, yeah, actually. So I just stopped it there and I uh, started to focus on the music like 100%, mm -hmm. you know. I think, you know, a relationship as well, you know, it takes a lot of the drive and pure love away from the music, you know. Mm -hmm. You've got to put time into the relationship, you know. And, the, and with a music career like this, a solo artist, you need to put everything into the career. Mm -hmm. There can't be any time for love you know mm -hmm. if you want to do do well you've got to go and just do it yourself so what about loneliness on the path because i mean look man i've been i've i've done the touring thing on my own around the trains yep. planes and and yeah. the rest of it and it's it's not easy i, I mean I, i'm pretty capable of, of being on my own mm. i don't know why but i find it easier when i'm like traveling on my own as without touring but on with touring on my own, I find that more lonely mm. in a totally different way. Did, did mm. you struggle with that at all? Or, or? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I thought I would. I'm an only child, yes. Yeah, so uh -huh. I come from like entertaining myself, you know? Yeah. And um, I really just liked being on my own, you know? I didn't uh -huh. have to think, hey, where are we going to sleep tonight? Uh -huh. It's like I just find somewhere mm. myself, you know? I'll just. 
and wasn't so worried about like looking after someone. You know, I was just looking at me. You know, mm -hmm. it was like time to look after me. You know, mm -hmm. and um, put the put the love into the music. So, what do you think that? Because you were obviously, what moves me is that you took responsibility within the space that you got yourself in, yeah. and you weren't in that space. It doesn't sound like to me as a result of like bad things you'd done. Yeah. I mean, the world had collapsed, yeah. and you. You, you felt like you'd come to sort of a threshold or even an ending point with yeah. what you'd set out to do with your yeah, life. I did. That makes people go down, yeah, but yeah. you got yourself out and you took responsibility. What was it in you that triggered? I just thought it was all over. You know, I thought I didn't think I'd ever play again. There was that mm. point, I'd been that long before I'd, I'd played a show. You know, I'd, I'd usually play, uh, you know, 25 shows a week. Mm. You know, like when I'm working, if I'm working like uh, in summer, I'm doing like, you know, three shows a day, sometimes five on the weekend, you know, but this is, this is before COVID. Yeah. So this is when I was, I was a little bit younger. I had a little bit more raw, young energy and I'd just be You're out in the there going. <laughs> and just practicing. And the more I play, the better I get mm. and the more money I'd make, which meant the more I could travel and the mm. more I could put into equipment. And you're just putting it, cycling it back Basically, in all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like we're going to Edinburgh Fringe Festival and uh -huh. selling, we like 1,400 CDs in three weeks. And on top of that, it's tips. So we're talking like 20,000 euros in three weeks. Wow. But it would cost me 15,000 euros <laughs> to do it. And then I'll it's be, hard labor. I mean, yeah. you're, you're getting out of it, but I mean, you're investing everything spiritually and financially to be able to do it. But people would pumped you up you know like mm -hmm. you're meeting constantly meeting new people mm -hmm. all this positive energy comes towards mm -hmm. you everyone thinks you're great mm -hmm. and it's like i don't personally think that about myself at all but i also f i feel that people appreciate how much i've put into it but you must be aware that you're a channel because you know you you get to know that about yourself as an artist you obviously know that you're channeling something and that that's yeah. It's nice to see people happy, you know, and that's mm -hmm. what makes me happy and it's like what brings good energy towards uh -huh. me. You know, I meet all my friends from music, you know, like all these beautiful creative people in Berlin, you know, mm -hmm. like I've just, a lot of it comes from Mauer Park, you know, like all these great people just constantly supporting and then every week I play Mauer Park, it's more people every time, you know, they come in just to see me play and things like that, which is really nice. Dude, yeah. dude. And, and, and so going back, when you, took responsibility to claw yourself out of this terrible suicidal space you got into. Yeah. I'm, what, I'm interested, how did you manage to do it? Because when you get to that precipice and you're really fearing you might go over, and I've, I've known mm. this space, this type of space at least myself, yeah. and in, people can go either way in this space. Mm. And like, what do you think it was that, that made you, when you got to that crossroads where you could go this way or that mm. way, you took responsibility and you got yourself up and you quit the drink and something obviously old and healthy or something happened yeah. in you. Like, how would you describe that moment? Can you think about it or remember it? Is there something? I think what made me so depressed at the time was, um, you know, I just, I couldn't get my fix of playing live, mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't do my job anymore, I couldn't entertain people, and that's what makes me happy, you know, and that's mm -hmm. what, that's what, every time I get off stage or I've done a show, that's why I'm happy, I'm exhilarated every mm -hmm. time, so I was really like, am I going to ever do that again, you know? But, but, but that was, 
that was what you lost and that was the deprivation. Yeah. But what was it that pulled you out? Oh. Like, what, I mean, what I mean is, it, would you say it was as simple as that moment of synchronicity with mm. Amistad? <clears throat> yeah, it was the moment that I had something to look forward to. Really? So, yeah, so, again. So in yeah. a way, Amistad saved your life? They did, yeah. They actually did, yeah, because I thought, you know, as soon as I got that email coming through, I was like, I have something to look forward to again. Because I was always, you know, I was, I was toured with UB40 in Australia. Yeah. I, I toured with Tash. I toured with a bunch of sick artists. And I was always had something to look forward to. You know, I, I was looking forward to next summer in Europe. I was looking for a tour in America. I was going to Canada. Mm -hmm. I was um, doing New Zealand tours. I was doing Australian tours. I always had something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. But for those two and a half years, it was just... It was that long, two and a half years. Constant media just... Oh, you're gonna mm -hmm. die if you go outside, you know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. like this conditioning. It was quite full on in New Zealand, actually. Um, well, I mean, death felt like it was on everyone's door. doorstep. Yeah. And I mean, terribly, it was for many yeah. people. Yeah. And the, the, I mean, the, the, just, I mean, what a time on every, on every level. I mean, I just think you sort of look back and you think about all the people that passed, the people who got yeah. long COVID. You think about the people who, had livelihoods, you know, destroyed, and you know, people have lasting mental health issues, and you know, thank yeah. God, thank God. But one thing I want to just take away from this and just check in with is, and to say it really clearly, is people forget what an impact something small that they do can have on another life. Yeah, and you know, what Amistad did yeah. in that moment was a singular transformational yeah. moment in your life, literally yeah. saving your life. And the thing is, the paradox is that to them, you're, you're their mate, yeah. they're in the van, yeah. and they're just doing that simple thing of, oh yeah, it's second nature, we're gonna pass it over and we'll leave it to the gods, and if you get lucky, that's cool. Yeah. But what I mean is that sometimes, you know, when we get down on ourselves or whatever, or sometimes in certain, you know, sort of, uh, communities or niches, people can be kind of quite holding on, trying to keep a pie to themselves, yeah. and they won't pass on that connection yep. or that yeah. live and let exactly, live attitude. Yes. And the thing is, that small thing changed a life. Yeah. And I bet I can't even begin to think, because I know the power of music and I know how people react to your music. How many lives have been affected, changed, yeah. even saved yeah. since that moment? And, yeah. and that, what, I mean, just what a thing. And I mean, sometimes when I have it, I, a year, about a year and a half ago, I sort of really strongly thought about sort of deleting social media. I was disaffected with it. I was kind of. I thought, wow, so many people are pumping out so much toxicity and negativity out in the world. And I thought, right, I'm going to get rid of this. And then I thought, no, it's, the problem that I've got is actually not about deleting. It's about being in this gray zone where I, I'm not engaging with it, but I know that I should because I'm an artist. And yet I can't commit to it and actually start really sort of using it. And I thought, right, I'm going to take control of my attitude to this situation and I'm gonna start using it and I'm gonna start actually sort of using this maturity and this yeah. moment, my, my adulthood, this maturity at this point in my life to try and put something positive into the world yeah. and to actually kind of like have um, some agency with yeah. it. And it was just that trigger of changing that made a massive difference to me. Yeah. The reason I think about it is, just, you know, like every other person in the arts, I wake up some days and it's a damn hard day yeah. and you're like, where the fuck is my motivation yeah, gonna come right. from? And someone will write a message saying what you posted on this subject really 
has done a massive thing for me mm. or it's really affecting my, my thing. And, and, and what they don't realize is that that small thing in giving back yeah. is triggering the circle. Yeah. The circle's never something static. It needs That's to keep right. going around. And right. I just find it such a moving yeah. story, man. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, just playing every day. I mean, like I like to play you know, five times a week if I can. Because that makes it, when I do the gigs, you know, when I'm doing, when I play on the street, I always sound the same. Mm -hmm. So the sound system sounds exactly the same. Uh -huh. And I don't have to talk to anyone, I don't have to sound check. I don't have to be like, hey, what time do you need me at the venue? When sound check, blah, blah. Yeah. I just go drop my stuff, mm -hmm. put my CDs out, I start playing. And it's like no admin, mm -hmm. it's just straight music, you know, and no, and like when you go to a sound check, well, the sound system might suck, or the sound guy might be an asshole, mm. or blah blah blah. There's so many contributing well, and the factors. struggle to get people into yeah. the venue as well. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. And um, it's just it keeps me playing at a very high level. So like mm. if I only play once a week, I'm not as good as if I play five times a week. Mm -hmm. You know, you get this mm -hmm. extra uh, level, ten out of eleven out of ten. Mm -hmm. You know, like you have got the sparkle. You know, everything's. Everything's so good, like trom I'm doing stuff on trombone that I can't do if I don't play five, five times a week. Mm -hmm. So like you've just got to keep everything super highly practiced for mm -hmm. when you do the big stuff that you seem like a superhero. Oh man, and I mean that's the thing that this, this I think that's the reward of such commitment is just the sheer level of expertise like you said earlier where you're literally just a vehicle for what's coming through you and yeah. the music is just there and you can concentrate on it and I mean it's something that I struggle with at this point in my life because it's kind of like the opposite for me I was like for years and years and years like full on absolutely in and then certain stuff changed it was uh, I, I was on a major uh, EMI got got sucked in by Universal and it was like oh damn and so then I was like okay well I've got my camera and I'm loving the documentary side and I just I was hungry for the world so I went out and I toured a lot in the world but I also then kind of got really interested in other people's stories and yep. societal issues and cultural issues and so the music started playing started taking a different place in my yeah. life but it was always as important to me yeah. sort of in my heart especially with the songwriting side but the thing is at this point it's quite interesting I mean I went on tour in October and it was an absolute blast and I absolutely loved it but you know it's just a different thing when you're not doing that thing five times a day yeah. it comes through you in a different vehicle and so for me it's like ah you know it kind of like makes my heart go because there's still that part of me where it's i mean i'm at, I'm at peace with where i'm at but it's like my musical heart has not gone anywhere yeah it's exactly the same place and i still you know i still write uh, ideas like every single day and it's yeah. still like super important to me and it's non-negotiable you yeah. know it's like it's in the heart mm -hmm. and but in my life, I sort of wonder when and how will I, and will I get back to that path? Because yeah. I also see it, like you see, yeah. as in you need to live it. I, I think you can live it in different ways for the songwriting to come. It's never affected my ability to write a song, but in terms of that pure capacity to be within uh, the process of, of improvement, live, and that oneness that you can get, um, it does affect that side, and, mm. and it's something that you you, you 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 kind of get a little bit more detached to. Even if you learn in different ways and you can bring in new stuff, but oh man, it just makes my heart go bomb, bomb, bomb. Thinking yeah. of playing every day like you do, you know. Yeah, it just makes it feel it's much more um, 
makes me feel more fulfilled if I'm playing at that high level. Otherwise, I feel like I'm not as good as I usually uh -huh. am. So I can just tell uh -huh. that I've lost the the sparkle, uh -huh. you know. Yeah. And I just need to get back out. I need to stop being so lazy, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm like my own boss, so mm -hmm. like. So I'm, you're tough on yourself. Yeah. Well, I push I push myself to do it, you know. Like when I'm it's summer and I know the months and I know what I have to do, I would just have to get out there and do it, mm -hmm. you know. And I've got it down to a thing where my equipment's really easy to set up. It's easy to pack down. Uh, the whole busking rig is a form of transportation, mm -hmm. and that, that this year has really taken a big, a big step forward with making the rig a form of transportation. So I don't have to push it anymore; I ride it. Mm -hmm. So it's like that. That really was a big step up when it, it did sounds that. like it just. And so that's interesting. That's like the logistical step has been a massive change <clears throat> for you. Yeah, I think the main thing is I have the busking that I always enjoy, you know? I'm always enjoying it, but sometimes it's hard, man. I'm dealing with crazy people out there sometimes. Mm -hmm. I've got dance music, I'm mm -hmm. playing dance music. So like sometimes I'm creating a show where there's a, a semicircle, and I'm trying to keep people out of the semicircle, you know, like, cause this is where I'm doing the, the show. But a lot of sometimes drunk people will come in, ruin it, drag their friends in and stuff like that. And people will look at me and if I say, hey guys, would you mind just please just doing it to the side? Mm -hmm. Just not in the circles where I'm doing my show, yeah? And then everyone says, oh no, you don't want people to dance. You don't want people to enjoy themselves. It's like, no, actually I need people to focus on the music, you know? And mm -hmm. I want them to have fun and dance and stuff, but like mm -hmm. just not in here. Mm -hmm. And people coming in and just kind of they want to be the center of attention yeah. and that's why i'm trying to like really politely control that and for so them i guess it's part of the fun you know yeah. to step into the yeah, circle yeah, you know? yeah but, but it's like i have i've nurtured that space mm -hmm. to be a place where i perform my songs i get mm -hmm. my, my show up to a certain um, point mm -hmm. where i'm happy with it and then i finish it and then people come and buy my cds uh -huh. because they want and but if that one person comes in and takes their focus snaps them out of the focus and what's then all of a sudden like I'm trying to like say thank you just do that over there mm -hmm. please mm -hmm. and then they they are obnoxious or abusive or yeah. trying to physically attack me what's or, the worst memory you have um there's lots <laughs> oh, there's lots God, dude. um oh this, look it's 99.9 percent .9 it's it's great but like mm -hmm. there's the odd time where it's like I'm dealing with scary humans out there, you know, like people on drugs, people drunk, you know, people want to rob me, you know, I'm sitting out there with 15 grand's worth of equipment. Sometimes alone, you know, sometimes I'm just there on my own or sometimes I've got friends with me, but like, you know, it's when you're out there with all your precious... Uh, your livelihood depends on that and gift. Stuff. And yeah, and if someone comes in and says, oh, can I take the mic? I say, no, sorry, bro. Like, I'm trying to just like keep everything you know, under control, because mm -hmm. like a lot of my just performing, um, I'm, uh, I'm doing security. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm throwing motherfuckers out of there, God, you, you know, don't even like, think of it like it's that. like yeah. I've had physical alt altercations yeah. with people yeah. out there, you know, it's not like, the thing about me is mm -hmm. that I have the option to busk. I, have the, I can make money with that. Mm -hmm. I can just do that. Mm -hmm. But now I've got a beautiful balance between touring, mm -hmm. festivals, I'm getting, I've got like corporate representation, which they put me in some really amazing places and places where I'm going, I'm going to Hungary, I'm going mm -hmm. to Northern Italy next week. It's mm -hmm. like, they put me there, but I've always got the busking. But that yeah. can also, I mean, just help so much. Um, this, this just, the, the uh, camera has just gone off. Reset, reset. Yeah, it's just overheated. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pull this beast around and we are just gonna let the show keep on rolling. All right. <clears throat>
So this one's gonna go over here. And uh, this one will go over here. So you're super wide now, bro. <laughs> and I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll just leave that here for five minutes while it, um, I'll just leave that here like that. And the show must go on, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Nothing will stop Reuben Stone. Um, but can you remember like one story in particular where, um, you know, something particularly beastly happened? Oh, like, yeah. it, like it was the one thing, like, I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for, for punishment, man. I want to know, I want to know something grisly. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is, oh, Melbourne, Melbourne has put some pretty rough, rough individuals on the street out oh, there. Oh, right, in Melbourne, that's in actually Melbourne, the, yeah. It's a big kind of meth, crystal meth scene, you know, out oh, there, man, and sometimes oh, these people just uh, attracted towards you, you know, like yeah, somehow. Yeah. Oh, there's, oh, there's lots of stuff. Like if my girlfriend used to be out there with me selling my CDs and things like that, and then people would kind of be doing creepy stuff to her and stuff. Like oh. when I'm, she's standing there, I had, had a guy coming like going like this to her, oh, like on the street, and I said, mate, you, you can't do that. And then he kept doing it, and he was like, big guy, you know, like big drunk, toothless guy, you know. And I just went up to him, I said, man, don't you ever fucking say that to my girlfriend, you know. And then I just pushed him over on the street, and he fell over on the street, and then he came at me, and he kicked all my equipment oh, over. And then all my stuff's getting broken, and I've got this guy, and I'm just like, got my finger in his head, and I'm choking him on the street, and like trying to restrain him, and he's like twice the size of me. But he's also inebriated, so he was kind of like just flailing around. But like, this is just one. But of you've also got to deal with after you've you've detained him. Your gear is still there, 15K yeah. worth of gear, and yeah. you have no idea what this, this loon's is, going to do. Yeah, but there's other times where I've been, like, robbed. Say, like, I'm playing and, like, it's got money in the case, yeah, so there's maybe 50, 100 bucks in the case or something mm. in cash or whatever, and someone's got to come past, just, like, grab it and just start running, you know, and then what do you do? Do you chase them or you just let them run with it? You know, this, this has happened a few Because times. you've got a choice between 1.5 that they're running off with and leaving the, 50, the 15k behind. Yeah. But mainly the thing that sparks it is when I tell people to get out of my circle, you know, about mm. of my stage area where I've created for, for me to do my thing. People think they can come in and just, you know, have their back to me mm -hmm. and be mm. looking at my crowd, you know. Mm -hmm. Don't put up with it. Yeah, wow. You know, it's like, it's, it's, a, so it's a street thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. But like, I, I, I don't like that. Yeah. You know, I, I like to be out there and do no problems with my show. I finish my show mm -hmm. and then I can just look forward to doing another one. Yeah. But like sometimes, you know, I had, a, had one oh, terrible thing that happened actually in January. I was in Queenstown and uh, I'd been busking a lot and I'd just done that 60 day tour of Europe and I just started doing another summer directly after it, so mm. in Australia and New Zealand. Mm. And this uh, old lady came, she was, and she dragged all these kids into the circle. Yeah, the kids are dancing, it's all cool. And then like everyone just starts putting their children into the circle. And it just kind of became like this like kindergarten thing happening. And I said, look guys, I've been, wait I've been waiting here all day to the show. Would you mind just taking your children out please? And then this lady's like coming in and like dancing, which is fine, it's absolutely fine, but only for a certain amount of time before it starts, as I said before, mm -hmm. taking the focus off the music. Mm -hmm. And if the, look, people start looking at these dance moves. So this lady, and I said to her, hey, please, would you mind, please just dancing mm -hmm. with the kids to the side? Cause like, I'm gonna do a backflip soon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, things are gonna get a bit crazy in here. Yeah. And then she just kind of ignored me and I said, look lady, please, mm -hmm. I'm stressed. 
I'm probably overreacting, but going, please, you're ruining my show. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She just didn't get it. And then she like left, and then all the kid ran back in, and then mm -hmm. everyone's applauding for the kid, going coming back in and being like giving me the kids giving me like the fingers or whatever. Oh, God. And then everyone starts booing me. Oh, no! And then uh, <clears throat> and then I'm the because bad guy. Because you're being a spoiler sport. I, I'm yeah. Just, yeah, I'm trying to stop people having yeah, fun, yeah? yeah. But I'm just saying, please have fun over there. Oh. Not like don't have fun, just don't do it right yeah, there, you know? Yeah, because this yeah. is where I'm doing my show. But it's and, very in sorry, go ahead. And then there after this I'm sitting packing my stuff and it was a worst show of my life. Horrible. And then uh, these two burly guys come up to me and go, they go, hey man, uh, what the fuck did you say to my grandma? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, look man, I was just asking her politely to please start to the side with the kids because I'm like doing some crazy stuff out here, you know? Uh -huh. And then they're saying, they're like, bro, he's red in the face and he's ready to like, just smack me over. <laughs> and uh, oh, no. and I just explained to them, look, man, I didn't want her to be there, so I had to tell her that she had to go. You know, and she was like, it's her birthday. It's her birthday, and she's crying. <laughs> oh, dude. But look, dude, oh, this oh, is the point where I'm kind of oh, at that. I mean, the thing is, is that sometimes human communication I just know. goes so I wrong. Know. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, and it's, it's such oh. a paradoxical thing because, uh, oh. you know, you're trying to create this sort of essentially sacred space yeah, around it is. this, it is sacred this space, space yeah. that you've, you're creating your, your, your life and your existence around. And it's just a paradox that yeah. in, 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 in trying to create this perfect um, curation yeah, of an curation. experience yes. that life will sometimes just have other plans and that which you cannot control yeah. will enter the building. It's when everyone turns against you <laughs> at once. Oh, that's so you're, you've created thing, the crowd yeah. and then all of a sudden everyone's against you yeah. and you're going, and that, this was a moment in January where I thought, I'm done. You know, I'm taking time off. Mm -hmm. I can't do this anymore. I'd literally have the, the end of my tether with it. When that kind of situation happened mm -hmm. with those, those two dudes wanting to beat yeah. me up because I made their grandma cry, I was mm -hmm. like, man, I'm just out here like mm -hmm. playing music. This is my job. Like, well, this is, yeah, this is one of the things in life is that shit stuff happens. Yeah. And the paradox is that sometimes the shittiest stuff happens out of the best intention. Yes, and, that's right. And, and I think, you know, because it's interesting that I noticed as you told those two stories, the one, you know, when you're essentially in, you know, you're trying to protect your girlfriend and yeah. getting yourself in a potentially life-threatening situation yep. as a result of it. But the one that you look even sadder about was the one where it was just this society of human miscommunication yep. because it's a slightly different thing than almost a situation that you expect when some asshole comes across. I mean, it's so terrible that such things exist, but yeah. this is the world we live in. Yeah. But, but I can really empathize that because you're just there and you're just trying to do your best. Yeah. And then all the wires are crossed on every single level. Yeah. And it's just heartbreaking. It's, just, it's one thing that kind of, tr it's triggering. It's like mm -hmm. a, it's a PTSD thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's happened that many times and I've tried to control it that many times that um, it's one, it's when people come in and they turn their back to me and they're dancing and doing their moves or whatever uh -huh. they're doing, but like in, a kind of disrespectful way. Uh -huh, like I uh -huh. had a guy dancing in my show yesterday outside the carnival and he was super chill and he didn't make me angry and he didn't make me want to kick him out because he was uh -huh. just super respectful about yeah. it. Yeah. So you're feeding off the attitude oh, yeah, more than anything people, else. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, if they're, if they're self-entitled, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're entitled enough to 
they're self-entitled that they think they can just take my show yeah. and make it their own. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I guess it is a little bit of controlling, but... Well, you know, I mean... That's my th- job, so I want to... Like, well, that well, could be the difference between 400 and $100, you know? Yeah, but it's, it's what you f- feel about your space and it, it's your values coming out and you're adapting and trying to learn all the time. And, I mean, this is one of the... One of the things that I take away from it as an idea is um, that... You know, you're a guy who's gone out and done your 10,000 hours, muscling it out day by day. Correct. But even with this level of passion and love and expertise and commitment and motivation, even you, Reuben Stone, in this situation, cannot predict what life will choose to do sometimes. And And for me, that's just, there's a lesson in that because it's so easy when things are going well or you think you're developing a certain amount of expertise or skill to start going, I've got it, I've got this thing, life. Yeah. And I've, I'm in control of it and I can do it and it's flowing. And then just for a moment, you think that's how life's going to be and how it yeah. is. And of course you can affect the parameters of life by getting highly skilled, working on, your spell, on yourself, spiritually developing, all of these different things. But at the last, it's not us that who's in control. No. Life determines yes. to do what life will determine to yeah. do. You need to suck a psychology degree to do this job. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. can take you can take a, a band and put them on the street. It doesn't make them street performers. You know, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. just a band playing on the street. But like, there's a whole lot that goes along with playing on the street mm-hmm. that um, most people like they wouldn't know that mm-hmm. it's super intense sometimes. Uh-huh. And and super quite life threatening actually. Mm-hmm. Like there's crazy people out there. Mm-hmm. There's uh, you know, and there's a lot of um, police interaction. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of council interaction with people saying you know no amplifiers. Yeah, someone just got blah, his blah, blah. Uh, amplifier detained and taken away from him the other day. Okay. I saw on the street. I mean, so yeah. One of, yeah. Oh, that's never happened to me before. Mm-hmm. And look, I'm pretty loud and pretty. Uh, but like, it's all about how you deal with. Is it grooving to the music, Ruben? Is that all, why? They do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a. It's a. It's all about how you deal with these people as well. You know. Yeah. You can't argue with police. Uh-huh. You can't argue with any sort of government agent that wants you to stop. You just say, sweet, I'm stopping, I'm picking yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I'm going, you know. And yeah. That's fine. And usually that's fine. But if you argue and say, no, blah, 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 they'll just take it. Mm-hmm. But that's not happened to me before. So look, man, what about creative process? Um, I'm going to hope this camera doesn't overheat again. It will, because oh, yeah. life is in control, brother. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what about creative process? What's your creative process for, you know, for writing a song? Uh, I have, like, song books mm-hmm. that I kind of... I write a lot, and I just keep the books, uh-huh. and then... So, so you're, you're journaling first, you're writing lyrics and stuff first? Yeah, a, a lot of the time I'm, I'm writing lyrics and then putting it to music. So like oh, separately, so I can write better lyrics mm-hmm. when I'm not getting distracted by what, chord progressions uh-huh. and guitar playing. But is that exclusively what happens? Because like, often when I write, like, I will sit down and I will howl because it's, it's a kind of... I, when I play, it's there's a sort of old loss in me, if you like, and it goes right back mm-hmm. and early. And it, it often, it does come, I guess, from a there's a degree of 
access to old suffering and it, and it yeah. kind of comes up. I mean, I, I wish it wasn't so, but it just it comes up. It's just how it is. Mm. But so often, like my titles, for instance, will come out of the process of howling. Now, with you, is, do, do you ever do that? Or is it really from the written word that you write mainly? Well, I, I write a lot of folk music as mm -hmm. well, like because uh, I just like finger style guitar mm -hmm. playing. Mm -hmm. I've got enough for a couple of albums of folk music. But, to come? Uh, yeah, I've got it there. It's all there. It's been oh, there for years. I, I just never released it because, you know, I'm releasing a certain thing. You know? No, man, you've got to get that yeah. out. I would love, because yeah. the thing is, one of the things in meeting you, it's like, it's like sitting down and, of course, you have the preconceptions because you've got the guy and he's smashing it on the street and Reuben Stone is out and he's in the Alps and he's got the sunglasses on, he's dressed in a, in a suit. And then you come and you look you in the eye and you get a totally different measure of a yeah. person. And it's like, OK, I can see the, the life that's yeah. been lived in there and where it comes from. And the reason why I get it so excited about the idea of the folk music in you is because I can see the folk musician in you. Yeah, literally, yeah. I can see it. I'm a, I'm a, um, first of all, I'm a guitar player. I'm mm. a trained guitar player. I've been playing hmm. over 20 years on guitar. You know, and if I, if I pick up a, a, a trombone, I'm not really trained. You mm -hmm. know, I've been taught how to play guitar mm -hmm. like by professionals. Mm -hmm. So like I can session guitar for anyone really. Mm -hmm. But um, also, it's kind of bores me a little bit. So I keep kind of changing instruments and stuff. Uh -huh. But like I can. Definitely, I like so. If I was these days, like when I'm not writing folk or uh, doing, I would, I would make loops in my loop station, and I would uh, make something perfect inside the loop station, and then I'd export what's in the loop station, put it into Ableton, mm -hmm. and then rebuild the loop in Ableton. Uh -huh. Yeah, so I'd record it to a say tempo that I want, 120, yeah. 122, or whatever. And then I record, so then I make one loop, and then I save that patch, and I make another patch. But you're not actually using the patch on the final recording, you're just using that as a writing tool, are you? Uh, or, or are you yes, you, they're in there, yeah. Or are you sampling yourself? I'm sampling, I'm making a bridge, I'm making a verse, and I'm making a chorus all to the same drum beat, but on three separate patches. Aha! Uh -huh. So I have a, a oh, chord so awesome. progression, and I'm doing it all on the loop station, so I'm not looking at any computers, I'm not getting distracted yeah. by computer but it's problems. It's pure creativity, yes. that's a great lesson. And this is yeah. what I work on here as, a, as, the, as the medium, as the loop station, and then I export mm -hmm. and import, and then I build the three different sections uh -huh. up, and then, and then I overdub, mm -hmm. and, then I get, and then I get it to a point, uh, with arrangement, so I'm happy with the arrangement, and then I send it to a mix engineer, uh -huh. and then he starts doing all whatever oh, he does. Oh, so you're, 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 you're like, so yeah, so you're, you're recording it all yourself then? Yeah, I record. Uh, do you go to studio sometimes? Yeah, or? well, yeah, like my new song that's about to come out, the 777. Tomorrow? Tomorrow, yeah. Yes, baby! Yeah, tomorrow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's it called? It's 777. 777, yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. I've been working on it for years. Um, since yeah, 2004. Are we gonna get an acoustic version? Yeah. Come on, man. That. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, I wrote the chorus maybe 2014, but I wrote the verse in December. Amazing. So I was, uh, like, I was like, man, I've just written this great verse. Uh -huh. And I thought, man, I'm trying to write a chorus. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks. And then I just thought, oh, that one I've never used. Yeah. And then it just went bam, and, and then so it there's a chorus. It just journeyed with you yeah. over the years, and you had it in yeah. there. You must have known it was good even back in the day, though. Yeah, it was, it was a song I used to play all the time, yeah, mm -hmm. in, on, on my life. But just too. as a loop, ah, so just as, but just as a loop, and you'd, you'd riff and groove of it, but you never completed it. Uh, I'd, done, I'd released it as a live, uh, a live recording, uh -huh. so, but not as a studio. And so I rewrote the song and stuff like that. So I would demo, like the way I've demoed, 
I'd get the arrangements and then I'd go to Nick Herrera in uh, the Grove Studios in Melbourne. <clears throat> and he's got a beautiful studio and then we do tracking there over top, record live drums, mm -hmm. uh, record like, bass guitar, mm -hmm. and I scrap some of the loops that I've also uh -huh. bought enough they're not good so you're rebuild, you're rebuilding some of it's that It's like then. backbone yeah, goes through yeah. it. So I start, wait, I do a verse and then I make a chorus uh -huh. and then I listen to that and I go, yeah. oh yeah, I change the beat and then I put the bridge or a breakdown or something But that's like that. a cool creative process because you're actually liberating yourself from what it necessarily is leading to, which can lead to total different variations. So you've yeah. written this verse and it's really exciting and then you're like, okay, I'm gonna take it away from the verse. So rather than like if you're sitting down on an acoustic guitar and it's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna you know, you know, descend into the A minor from the C or whatever. Yeah. You're literally building blocks and that's super fun. But like with the thing about this, this loop station, the RC505 mm -hmm. Mark II, mm -hmm. is that yeah, I can, it's got 99 patches or 100 mm -hmm. patches. So I can, I can go spend a day demoing just on that and do 12 loops and go, what's cool? What's the best one? Yeah, yeah. and I would do, like when I did my EP, I uh, did 65 loops, uh -huh. and then I picked my favorite ones, and then like second favorite, and then ones that were shit. And, and then, then would you literally sometimes just be taking the loops and doing the loops unto themselves, and then going, okay, I can join that and that into this song. Like, yeah. would, would the beat, like, would you also, would you, have literally sometimes a sense of randomness about, oh, loop 35 could go with loop 82. Maybe I could try putting those yeah. together. Or would you have, oh no, I've got that idea for that song. I need to keep in that key. Like, you know, or, or, or is there kind of like also this, this thing of literally just seeing what works and letting yeah. it evolve out of itself? Or? There's just a, a big time of importing, exporting coming out of loop station. Mm -hmm. So when I did that mountain climber record, which is my most popular, might not have sold 25, thousand copies of is I did 65 loops and I picked basically one in ten mm -hmm. was decent mm -hmm. so a good song and mm. and then I obviously wrote lyrics to those you know and then it was just like building up from that and then we went to this recording studio and recorded on the Neve desk and the Neve console and stuff like that and that's expensive you know it was like 900 a day for the studio yeah. it was uh 300 for the engineers or more or something. God, people so. don't realise how much you can build up making this stuff, yeah. Yeah, and then you've got like all yeah. these other costs of getting printing done. Yeah, and blinking like, and it's 5K. Yeah. Blinking. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. and then you talk vinyl pressing, so okay, like, you know, yeah. you're smashing out 2K or something there. And then yeah. Gamer come and charge you for printing up a record. It's like, hold on, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the artist, man! <laughs> I always oh. find, yeah, lyrics are the, are the hardest part for me, actually. I'm, instruments and stuff like that it comes quite natural uh -huh. to me but like a little bit dyslexic i didn't really listen at school much you know <laughs> my vocabulary is not that flash you know but i've always tried to focus on the lyrics and that's why i try not oh, to play cool. two things at once you know i'm trying uh -huh. to write engaging lyrics yeah. that aren't the same yeah. as my old ones or yeah. in the same yeah. sort of uh, oh, but accidentally saying the same thing twice. Yeah, which is, that's, I mean, that's always a sign of like a purist artist who's, you know, but I, I found your lyrics really imaginative, the ones you, you sent over. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, it's really cool, like word plays and twists. Yeah. And also like, I love the way that there are colors of your life that you really feel about, you know, from the street yeah. and your cosmology and yeah. you know, all of this type of stuff, yeah. man. I take a lot of inspiration from, I, I live a strange life, man. Like the, the, stuff, the stuff that I do is like, <laughs> not many people are as lucky as me, you know, to be able to not have a boss. Yeah. To, I haven't worked a normal job for, since 2006, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. 
Well, you know, I mean, this is, but the paradox, Ruben, is I always say to my friends, it's like, I don't know anyone in any other profession who works as hard as musicians mm. who are really yeah. gutting it out. And I mean it, I know lawyers and accountants and people in events and in film yeah. and stuff. And it's like, well, you know, it's like with film work, it's like, well, you, you die for 90 days. Like my sister's a, mm -hmm. a film producer. And then, you, you, I mean, of course, it's always on running around company. It's absolutely amazing. But what I mean, when I look at someone like you, you or Dean, like from the street scene, and it's like, man, the non-stop commitment day after day. And it's just, I don't know, I just find it a marvel. It's just inspiring when you get all the good energy coming your way, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, look, it's going to be tough, but most of the time it's not. Mm -hmm. It's just playing music and having a bloody good time <laughs> but look, with, yeah, your, yeah. with your mates, you know? But I see that there's this aspect in you where, you know, I, I, I've just met you, so you can tell me if I'm off on the wrong path. But you seem to also, like, you have a profound sense of discipline it seems to me you give yourself a bit of a hard time as well, like if you take a break, would that be a fair thing to say or am I like going up the wrong track? I there? push as hard as I can until I break. <laughs> and then I go, I need to stop, man. I'm, something's not right. You know? What is it in you that pushes you so hard? Uh, it's because it, I mean, I'm chasing it, my tail somewhere. Because what I mean, man, is that it feels to me like there's a part that comes from that mad eccentric love of the music and the people and the performance and then it and then it, it's i mean uh, the reason i'm i'm i'm, I'm asking you about yeah. this i really relate to it and it's something that i've been sort of working on a lot myself over the years is okay first of all being in the arts there is no choice unless you're one of those people that goes super super successful you have to grind it yeah. out day by day yeah. year by year yeah. dark room by dark room street stage by street stage and that's just the reality and then there's also this kind of uh, Calvinistic thing, you know, like lashing yourself, like, you know, I mean, I work obscenely hard and basically juggling kind of three separate careers. One is as a creative and as, as, a, as a musician, one's a freelance filmmaker and photographer. And the other one is setting up some businesses that I'm, I'm, I'm working on and then fit, fitting stuff like the podcast in on the side. And it's not necessary to do it all, but something in me drives me to do it. Yeah. And you know, and, and it's um so I always notice it when people have this kind of profound work ethic that there's something beautiful and extraordinary and powerful, but then it's also there's this mysterious yeah. part that comes from the underworld and Hades and some yeah. darker element, you know, mm. that causes you to break. And it's like, what happens when you break, man? It's like, just the tiring, it's just tiring and it's burnout. <laughs> Yeah. It's burnout. Like I've burnt out like multiple times, you know. Like uh -huh. got to the point where I like, don't really like it anymore, and I'm thinking like. But you're taking I, care I, of it, bro, because street. it feels like you're still doing. Yeah, it. I mean the street is fun. Like the street, <laughs> the street is like. Yeah, but fun isn't a compensation for serial burning out. No, I know. Right? Like it's just the how hard can you go? How many times? How far can but you drive and then play a gig? You know. So you're a sucker for punishment as well, like. Well, yeah. Know. I just, I mean, it's if you do what you love. For a job, you never work a day in your life, you know. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. it's 
for me, it's like if I, yeah. if I go out and I've got no money in my yeah. wallet and I come home with five or six hundred in my pocket yeah. and I've just had a fun time, I've met all these beautiful people yeah. and now everyone wants to be yeah. my mate. Yeah. Like, it's but a really nice... Man- I get that, man, but do you manage that part of yourself? You've been to the edge, you've been to the precipice, and the yeah. last time you went over the precipice, yeah. you got caught by an angel. Yeah. What happens if you keep going to that precipice and the angel doesn't come next time? Uh, like, what yeah. I mean is, like, yeah. you know, do you, are you looking in on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm 34 now, so, like, I've... I feel like a little bit tired and a little bit quicker and I don't recover as well. But also, like, uh, now I've got, um, I've got a bit more freedom, you know, because I yeah. have... Your career's developing and stuff. I, like yeah, that. yeah. Whenever I do do it, I'd, I don't have to slog mm-hmm. as hard because no, I'm good at my job, so, like, yeah. I don't have to work. Yeah. But I guess the other side of it as well is that, you know, with getting the occasional corporate gig, that can bring in serious money for yep. little work. Yes. And I think that's a fantastic thing when, yeah. you know, someone's career gets to the point where they can bring in that type of gig, but yeah. principally because you've obviously got no problem with work ethic, but you need to be able to take a break because if you go that same yes. pace, so you're 50, That's right. that precipice Correct. will get steeper. I mean, I've looked at it now and I've, I've just applied for my freelance visa in Germany. So like, Amazing. I want to be here for nine months. Mm-hmm. I want to be on holiday completely for a month. And plan it in. Yeah, so yeah. it's like uh, nice, nine man. months yeah, in Europe. Yeah three months and uh, and two months in New Zealand with my family. Lovely. Chilling out, Lovely. going fishing and going into the bush and uh-huh. just um, just living on the land a bit, you know, and yeah. just not being in the cities and stuff like that. But nine months, I want to work as hard as I can mm. and then maybe go like to Bali or Asia, uh-huh. chill out and just have a month off and then uh, go home, maybe do a couple of gigs, you know, yeah. at home because I still keep, have... Keep in with it I a little bit. I still have um, a good following in Australia and New Zealand, mm-hmm. you know, I can go, I reckon if I go back this year, I can do a headline in Melbourne on the way through. Well, and people love the boy coming home. Just He's three done shows, well, yeah. you know, like if you look on my Spotify, most yeah. of it's Melbourne. Is it? Uh, New Zealand is most of my Spotify listeners. Well, you might even surprise yourself that you, you've gone to a whole new level since you went away. Yeah, I did, uh, I think, New Zealand and Australia are still recovering mm-hmm. from the COVID thing. Cause we in terms were of getting out for gigs and so on. Yeah. Just the yeah. whole economy coming back and being uh, anywhere near what it was before, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And this is 2019, it's like coming back, it's like, oh, it's not quite back. Mm-hmm. You know, I come from doing shows here in, in Europe and like, and I went to play on the street in Australia for five weeks and it was hell. Mm-hmm. It was like not fun. I couldn't get a crowd. I was mm-hmm. battling against it. There was no energy coming my way. So how was I supposed to give it yep. back? And that's when I worked and worked and then went to New Zealand. And then that strange situation with the grandma crying on her oh, birthday happened. And then story, that was yeah. the moment where I thought, I'm done with this. God. I've, hit the, I've hit the wall. <laughs> oh, I've, I've done what I can. I've oh. done over 300 shows this year. Mm-hmm. 300 shows in if a year, you can, man. If you... Day by day as well, factor it in. The yeah. street shows and uh, session yeah. work that mm-hmm. I was doing for other mm-hmm. artists mm-hmm. in Europe. Mm-hmm. You look at it and it's like, that's why you're feeling like that. It's not like, <laughs> it's just that time where you go, yeah, I've done what I can and I yeah. just need to just like do a little bit of self-love. Yeah. Self-love, yeah. do some meditation, we'll with that. breathing keep... and things like yeah, that. Yeah, well, keep with it because it's, it is, um, uh, forgive the cliche, but it, it is the marathon. It is the marathon and the thing is, yeah. is, 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 I mean, it makes me really happy to hear that you're mm. factoring it in because... I know certain people, and, and, I, and I, I really mean this, people who have 
gone off the edge, yep. who know that side. And the thing is, is that factoring in family and fishing yep. and hiking, and I will take that time in the year yep. off. That is a form of salvation yeah, for, for, sure. for people who know that edge. Yeah, there's nothing more I like than riding my motorbike down the beach, you know, and just full <laughs> bore. You know, nine in the morning, my fishing rod, going fishing. It's just like, this is what I love. Like, my dad likes hanging out on the beach, and oh. we're always into this kind of things and eating a lot of seafood and just... <laughs> I just I just love, I'm like Reuben chilling out, and then I just see Reuben topless on yeah. the beach, on the motorcycle yeah. with yeah. the fishing yeah. rod, shades on. It's like, Full. Reuben Stone, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Full New Zealand bogan, eh, for like two months a year. God, I love it too. Well, look, man. We're going to wrap up soon, but I just want to kind of like go through a couple of other um, a quick blast through a couple of questions that, I'm, that I missed out so far. Just yeah. it's so nice just to be so organic yeah, cool. about it, but just to get a quick reaction yeah. stuff. And then if you're cool to yep. play a song, I think people would love that. Yeah. So what was it like? Like you, you toured with UB40, like how big were the shows? Like just give us a color sense. Uh, UB40 was, I was signed to an agency in Australia uh -huh. for about three or four years. And uh, it was three dates. Uh, it was two nights in more theatre, which is 5,000 cat oh, each, sold out. Man. And then it was uh, Hamer Hall, which is in Melbourne, which is like a three tier, uh, 3,000 cat theatre. Mm -hmm. And then it was uh, Fremantle Arts Centre in Perth, which was about 5,000, sold out too. Man. So, like that, that, this is, you know, this is, I'm all still doing street shows while I'm doing all of this, you know, yeah. but like, when I get up there, I can do it. I don't even have to think, you know, because I've done this. I've done this set that many times, mm -hmm. where when I'm in moments like that, where I've got like that many people in front of me, I'm starting to do stuff that I've never done before, you know, because mm -hmm. of this energy coming towards me. You know, mm -hmm. that's when I I feel like I really start breaking boundaries. Is when mm -hmm. I've got the crowd that are giving me what I need to go to the next level. Yeah. You know, if I'm doing the opposite. And, and you feel the peace yes. even amongst, even the first time before 5,000 people, those hours that you put in, yeah. you feel it manifesting yeah. in that moment. Five, 500, 5,000, I don't do yeah. any different, you know, as yeah. long as the people are, are giving me the love and I can give I can give it back, you know. Yeah. And if people are mostly doing that, you know, uh, like I said, in Australia, I felt like the crowds were just looking at me like I was just like an animal in a zoo. Mm -hmm. And I was think I was I was feeling really drained at the end of the day. I wasn't feeling like, oh, that was fun. I was mm -hmm. like, that sucked. And I was like, I have to do it again tomorrow. And mm -hmm. I did it again tomorrow, and it sucked tomorrow. Oh, dude. You yeah. know, it's just like, it's just like it's this thing. Run. Well, sometimes you just get on a bad run with stuff yeah. and you're factoring in like global pandemics and this type of stuff and people kind of getting worried about <laughs> cashless know? cashless yeah. society as cashless well so, so do you have one of those um paypal yeah i do have now? it but i don't i didn't have it in australia i mean like melbourne is pretty much cashless so uh -huh. i was struggling financially because yeah. i was trying to save money for the switzerland tour mm. which was kind of expensive dude oh man tell me about it i on i was on tour in switzerland and uh, supporting a big band, you know, some pretty big shows. There were like f up to 5,000 people. Wonderful time. We were on our own um, nightliner and um, said to the guys, said, all right, come on, everyone out. We got a night off and taking you all out to supper. Went out. We, you know, got just the beers were flowing, flowing, flowing. And when the bill came, I was crying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least metaphorically. I mean, you know, you wanna you wanna make sure that your team is like having the best night, you know, on their day off. But mm. you don't you don't want to do it in Switzerland. 
<laughs> and when you're burnt out and you've got a specific financial goal that you're trying to work towards mm -hmm. and it's not going right, mm -hmm. and every show you play, you're like, I can't believe that I used to play shows here and do 35 CDs a set mm -hmm. every time. Mm -hmm. Not even even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I make over a thousand a day and not even blink an eye, you know, mm -hmm. like just go, wow. But in this time it was like, whoa, 30. Dollars, mm -hmm. you know, no CDs, mm -hmm. do four or five sets in a row, and I sell five, six CDs. So I'm comparing it to what it used to be like yeah. to when it is, and everything seems much harder. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, look, shit, I, I'm burnt out before I'd even made that. So what is goal. it like at the moment, um, like uh, with with the sales? CDs? Like, is it getting? Uh, I, mean, I mean, obviously, I can't imagine it'll ever be like 2015, but like, is no, it still okay? It's weird. Sometimes I do like 20 CD sets. Mm -hmm. But most of the time it's like five, mm -hmm. three to five. But I've just had to restructure it. You know, I, yeah. I can't, I, I used to sell them for 10 each, mm -hmm. but now I'm just doing two for, two for 10. Mm -hmm. So you get both copies, more mm -hmm. people get CDs mm -hmm. and, and people want to, people are more happy with a bargain. Yeah. You know, they think yeah, they're getting a bargain yeah, and yeah, like yeah. I just make jokes about, you know, the CDs, you know, yeah. you can use them as a Frisbee. You know, you can use them as a Coasters. You know, I'm sure your grandmother's still got a CD player, blah, 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 you know, and it's just... What, you think that grandma wants to listen to your music? Yeah, she's still got a CD player at least. No, no, the one who was... Oh, no. Oh, yeah, I gave them a CD. I bet you did, Ruben. No, but before. Yeah, yeah. And then they screwed it up. Oh, no. And they threw it back in my... Don't tell me, I can't take it. I can't take it. Oh, man. So look, man, I'm Burning Man. Tell us about Burning Man quickly. Oh, yeah. So uh, I was in America. I won a trip to America. Uh, I won a band competition in Melbourne in 2014. And the, 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 the first prize was uh, a trip to the States to do a tour in Southern Oregon. Mm -hmm. And a band from America came over and toured in Australia. So I went there and I did the tour. I bought a van for $500. And then I was like, okay, I've got a three months, so I'll just cruise up the coast and see who's there. And then I saw on my Facebook page, I was like, oh, my friend Shane's in, uh, in Seattle. And I was like heading Shane. north, <laughs> heading north, and then he was with his friend from, from Australia as well. And I was like, met up with Shane, and we were just chilling, and we partied. And, and then they were like, oh, we're going to Shambhala uh, Festival in uh, Canada tomorrow. Uh, do you want to drive us? And I said, sure. So we got in the van and we started driving, drove to Selma, BC. And then um, the guy had like a psychosis, that, <laughs> drug psychosis. Serious. <that laughs> and his, uh, he had, couldn't go to Burning Man. So he was like, okay, Shane, here's um, 10 flights over Burning Man. You can just give them to people when you're there. And uh, we dropped him back in Seattle. And then he gave Shane five grand randomly because he was like losing the plot. He gave him $5,000 and we were like, sweet, we're off. Oh, and then, uh, yeah, we just went to Burning Man. I met uh, some friends from New Zealand there and we had a camp mm -hmm. and uh, I played, uh, sis, uh, they gave me a free ticket. To, they invited me, so I played in the, in the dome. I just played some shows in the dome. How'd it go? It was great. I just bought my speaker, just busking style. And then, uh, Two years later, I went again in 2016, but I was in a different camp. Playing again? Yep, yep, playing again. Uh, but this was in one of the, like the Esplanade, on the Esplanade, where the, the stages are big, fire coming out of them, and yeah. liner APA system. And so I played there, and my job was just to do like a few shows over the, over the week. So that was an invitation that time? 
Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So, awesome. so uh, my friend Shane was there as well, mm-hmm. and he he used to tour around with me mm-hmm. in uh, in Australia and in Europe. Mm-hmm. So we used to go to France and do a festival in Avignon, mm-hmm. and then we'd go to Amsterdam, Brussels, Basel through there, and then go London, and then up to Edinburgh mm-hmm. for the Fringe. And uh, after that, we flew from Edinburgh straight to Burning Man, and we did the Burn Second Burn, which was insane. And then uh, I played, yeah, I played this one set on the Saturday, which was when the man burns. And uh, I played on the stage there. It was, uh, none of the DJs showed up who were supposed to play. Well, they so, had Ruben Stone. Yeah, I was there and they just kept saying, more, more, Really? More. And I did a five hour set. Five hour set? Five hour set, yeah. On the prime time yeah, night. Yeah, just, uh, it was daytime actually. Yeah, uh-huh. it was a day set thing. So I just kept playing and playing and playing and yeah, that was cool, and then yeah, I flew back to Europe and did some more touring, and then actually the went... experience at Burning Man. Yeah, the yeah, this thing, I've got a pretty strong connection to the to the Burning Man thing. You know, uh-huh. like my friend Shane actually, he passed away in uh, 2019 at Burning Man. So he was what like my best friend, and he oh, God, uh, he had so a tragic sorry. accident uh, there. He was uh, just sleeping in his van, and he uh, someone started a generator like next to his van and he had the air conditioning on and the air conditioning dragged all the fumes into the no. into the car no. and, he, and, he, and then no. someone found him later on that evening, yeah. So that was 2019, which was oh, just before God COVID. God, that's terrible. 2000, late 2018 actually, just before COVID. And my life really changed with that. And then after that, yeah, COVID after that and then into the downward spiral over the three years after losing Shane, yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah, so we, we've done some a lot of world traveling together and been in lots of freaky situations together so it was really really hard for me to lose shane you know oh, god i'm so sorry there's uh, all the uh, things that you know make you stronger at the end you know and yeah well yeah, i just i just tragic accident oh just it's just it's so i've just got just it's one of those stories that just yeah. hits you because first of all it's a best friend and it I was so so deep in the story and Burning Man and yeah. the celebration. Yeah, we're partying and, and things yeah, are perfect. And and like, oh God, it's just it's just yeah. so tragic. I'm so sorry. And uh, yeah, I, I I spent a lot of time in my van as well. So there's also like that you know different type of empathy because you know that these things can happen. And it's just when it's your day, it's your day, yeah. and it's just oh. But this guy, you know, he was a serendipitous. You know, like he was on a roll always new things, traveling all around the world, like uh, everything, you'd think that look, if you looked at him, you'd go, man, this dude is just invincible, man. Nothing is ever gonna take him down, you know? And then for that to happen, you know, he grew up in the small island that runoff generators, you know, in, in Great Barrier Island in New Zealand, he grew up there. So there was generators, the whole island runs on generators. So like, how could you be sleeping in a van and, you know, a generator do that, you know? It's, Yes, this is yeah. a, a this is the moment where everything in my life I felt like I'd, everything started going downhill for me there, you know, and then COVID soon after that, and then everything going oh I'm trying to keep touring, my relationships falling apart, you know, I've got addictions, I've mm-hmm. got like all these things are happening and slowly just going down and down, and uh, yeah, it was a t- it's still like it's I was I still think about it now thinking. I can't believe that happened, you know, to him. Because mm-hmm. he was so such a, he was almost like a garden angel, man. Like mm-hmm. when I was out in the street, he was a big guy, six foot four, 
whenever I'm out with him, he'd always, if anyone was ever trying to do anything bad to me, you know, like ruin the show or he'd just like mm -hmm. kindly just make him move him on. Never had a fight in his life, you know, he was just a gentle giant. Mm -hmm. But everyone would, he'd always be able to just get them away, you know. So it was super sad to see him go. But we've, we've tributed a lot to him. You know, there's a festival in Great Barrier Island now for him. Every, every year they do a festival and donate all the money to the school that has a music program and it's, it's all mm -hmm. really positive in the end. But yeah, he well, went way too early, yeah. You'll be looking down, man. Yeah, yeah, the big old Shaney, yeah. Yeah. It's oh, well, a pretty sad story. Yeah, well, it, it, we, 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 we lose we lose good ones along mm. the way and it's uh, it, it never it, it never gets easier you just you just learn the acceptance that it is as yeah. simple as that yeah and we he shouldn't have even gone because mm. the year before he he was in a truck crash on the way back from Burning Man like someone fell asleep at the wheel while in the semi truck they were the truck that was taking the thing back and they had a crash and he showed me the the, the car, trucks on the side, everything. This is a big truck, like mm -hmm. a U-Haul, big giant U-Haul. And they've had a crash, the guy was on ketamine while driving or something like that. And uh, he ended up yeah, getting quite badly hurt that year. So his mum was like, no, we don't want you to go, you know. No, no. They were begging him not to go. And then they got the call that he'd, he'd passed away out there. So it was kind of like a moment where it's like, wow, no one could have stopped that happening, you know. No, I mean, I mean, this is the thing: is 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 when it's our day, it is just our day. Yes, yeah, right. It's just as simple as that. And and it, it, I had the experience during the pandemic with with so many people losing their lives, and you know, especially before the vaccines, where there was this time where it was a clear and present danger. It's like, if mm. you catch this thing and you, you, you know, as far as you're concerned, you catch it, you're gone. At least for a while, that was the perception. And I've, I've found it, it's lived with me in terms of that kind of contemplation, meditation on death, on mortality. Mm. Also, I lost, I mm. lost loved ones in, in, in my teens. I lost a parent in my teens. And, and it was, and it's always been close to me. And I think that's one of the reasons why, when I see the intensity and the purpose with which you live your path, it's like I understand it because mm. I have a living sense of its brevity, yeah. the shortness of our stay. Yeah. And you, I understand why you push yourself to get to that threshold because you're living as much as you can in the yeah, time exactly. that you've got. And exactly. it's, it, it's a tribute to life, yeah. even if it's a danger to you at the same time. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's definitely something you've got to think about, you know, yeah. if, if you can just get taken away that easy when you're pretty much invi invincible, it's, yeah. it's pretty weird. But, uh, yeah. Well, look, man, let's... Um, I think what we should... We should um, we, I wanted to just sort of, before we play... Before you play a song, um, if you were going to give yourself a message five years ago, and thereby to other artists, let's say there's an artist who's in a similar space to where you yeah. where you were at, um, who's on their journey, and yeah. something is just blocking them, and they're in pain. Mm -hmm. It's a difficult moment. What what advice would you give them, Ruben? How how, how what could you say to help them in this moment? Uh, uh, connect to some type of hope or the future 
or that there might be something good out there for them? I would say never think it's going to happen overnight, you know. A lot of people think, oh, how long will I have to do this before this happens, you know, whether I get famous or whether I get successful, like, this might not never happen, you know, like, you know, you've got to just keep committing. Like you said, grind it out. Uh, if you don't grind it out, someone's going to grind, grind harder than you and get your goal, you know. If you, if you want that goal, you've just got to really go out and get it because it's not going to fall into your lap without, I mean, some people it does, but most people have to really battle. And, you know, mm -hmm. David Bowie, for example, you know, had bulk albums that were like failures and he only really started making it big when he kind of um, took on the American market, you know, mm -hmm. he was losing money, David Bowie, like, and then like, I think it was in, when he was in Berlin, actually, he was just starting to, I think he wrote a Heroes album in Berlin. Yeah, he did, yeah. And this album was the one that cracked America. Pretty sure, what was it Let's Dance? I can't remember, but it's just like this sort of thing. It's like a guy like that's been doing it for, you know, 25 years, but like no one thinks about that. They only see famous mm -hmm. David Bowie. They didn't mm -hmm. see like struggling, drug addict, chunky oh. David Bowie trying to get somewhere and spending more money on partying than, <laughs> than he's making on touring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, look, thanks, thanks for that message. So your message to that younger person or that person struggling yeah. is keep on and, and find keep your on. way through it through recommitting. And yeah, make mm -hmm. sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to be playing music because uh, you want to be cool mm -hmm. or you want to pull girls, you know, that's not enough. Mm -hmm. You know, people see straight through that, you know. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where it's like if you want to play music and you want people to listen to it, you need to write from the heart, you know. Mm -hmm. You need to give 100% passion and put everything into it. Mm -hmm. There's no 80%, there's no 90%, mm -hmm. it's got to be everything, <laughs> you know. You've really got to slog it, like slog it out and then see what happens. And yeah. maybe, maybe at the end if you've slogged until you can't slog anymore, Try something else. Dude, you're <laughs> pulling my heart out of my chest, reformulating it and putting it back in, bro. Look, man, thank you so oh, you're much. You're welcome. Yeah. It's such a blessing to no me everything you've been through Thanks, man. Yeah. in this life. And I just, you know, I just wish you everything good. And I, I the thing about you on your path is that you're just putting it atom by atom. And it's like, if it just feels like you're literally building that bridge over yeah. the ocean and nothing's going to stop you. And um, it's really inspiring to speak with you. Yeah. Now, damn hell, will you play a song for me? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I guess um, you never know what's going to happen, so that's what keeps it exciting. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so I'm just going to grab this. Single, yeah? Yeah, well, as you like, man. It's completely up to you. Um, yeah, it's a good promo. I'll do a good little promo. Um, should I just rip it? I think just rip it. I'll just take that back a bit and just in case it gets a bit loud. All right, let's roll this. Okay. <clears throat> 
I take my time, I'm living by the wall In my mind, I stumble and fall The world is an oyster, the road is an ocean I'm sitting here drinking this tomato juice potion Ride the wings of the steel burn Ride the tracks of the underground earthworm Hustling, bustling, always trying to do my thing Rushing and rushing, I'm loving what the music brings Music is my soul it's power to the mainframe, yeah. Oh, it's power to my brain. Ba da ba 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 bum. Lucky number seven, seventh wave from a brighter dimension. I had no intention to make you feel bad. You know the attention that made me feel rad. Like 007, I'll die another day. Find another way to keep the darkness away. I'm hustling, bustling, always trying to do my thing. Rushing and rushing, I'm loving what the music brings. Music is my soul. Joy, what a pleasure. Thank <laughs> you, man. Oh, dude, what a lovely, uplifting moment to find I, out I, of I, I fucked up halfway. But, but you know, but that is the beauty <clears throat> of, um, of this trip as well, you know what I mean? Yeah, a little bit of a, yeah, no, one, no one's perfect, you know? Dude, it, let it be real. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, shit, <laughs> <laughs> you go, go, go. 